Welcome to Reinventing Professionals, a podcast hosted by industry analyst Ari Kaplan, which shares ideas, guidance, and perspectives from market leaders shaping the next generation of legal and professional services. This is Ari Kaplan, and I'm speaking today with James McGregor, the founder of Ethical eDiscovery, a boutique consulting firm that captures and reviews digital evidence. Hi, James. How are you? Hi, Ari. I'm good, thanks. How are you? I'm very well and looking forward to this conversation. So tell us about your background and the genesis of ethical e-discovery. Like anyone in the industry, I didn't choose to get into e-discovery. I fell into it. It was a, a sales job that I was working on in New York at the time. It was for a large language services company. And I got recruited for an entry-level position at a firm called UHY Advisors, which was a large professional services firm. And yeah, when I started, I, I didn't know what e-discovery was, but I had a bit of a sales background and I'd worked with lawyers in the past and gradually got to know the ropes. I was with that firm for about four years. During that time, it got acquired by BDO. And like all large professional services firms, there was lots of huge, interesting investigations and other litigation to work on. But the firm itself felt like a bit of an amorphous beast that didn't really handle projects for individual small to mid-sized clients. I think like all big companies, they do a great job serving other big companies. So after my time there, I wanted to do something more in the startup realm. And I joined a Japanese company called Fronteo to start their European office. And I did that for about a year and a half, but I think working for a Japanese company in Europe, and there was a strong American headquarters as well. The global strategy was not entirely focused, cohesive, and unfortunately that didn't work out. And then I went back to work for another big firm and I was at Concilio and a, and a managing director in their London office for about four years. And then a year and a half ago, Concilio had acquired another entity and there was an opportunity to move on and start something fresh. And I felt like I never really got an opportunity to properly scratch that entrepreneurial itch that I tried with Fronteo. So I founded my own firm. And the reason that I wanted to start something different was, as I mentioned, the bigger companies, I think, do a great job working with big clients. But at least in the UK market, small to medium-sized law firms who perhaps aren't as sophisticated because they don't work on large litigation and large investigations day in, day out, like some of the top AMLAW 100 firms do, need a bit more hand-holding. And so they want a consultancy firm that can do things more bespoke, can run projects for them at where there's a senior level that's involved in the day-to-day. -day. And yeah, starting my own firm gave me an opportunity to build it in my image and create it the way I wanted to create it. And I haven't looked back ever since. How do the UK and European e-discovery markets differ from the US market? Americans love to sue each other. So there's so much litigation in the US and the scope of discovery is so broad that inevitably all US lawyers are very familiar with the necessary means to collect evidence and review it in the context of litigation or an investigation in order to fulfill their discovery obligations. And that's why in all the big law firms, you've got massive internal departments of discovery lawyers and discovery teams that understand everything there is about the latest and greatest software in the market, 
and how best to sift through these large swathes of information in the most efficient means. Whereas in Europe and the UK, obviously you get the big cases, you get anything that's multi-jurisdictional and particularly often led by US authorities like DOJ or SEC investigations that reach across into the UK and Europe. But those are once in a blue moon type investigations and your bread and butter litigation tends to be smaller volume and as such, the, the clients that work on them are perhaps less sophisticated, not because they're not capable, but the industry is just more juvenile than it is in the US because it's a smaller market that the people are dealing with. How does working with the UK chapter for ACEDS, and I should say I'm proudly the chair of the Global Advisory Board for ACEDS and also said certified, so I appreciate your service, and the litigation special interest group for ILTA Europe how do those two affect your consulting work? I've always been a big volunteer in this space. And when I started the ACEDS UK chapter, probably eight, nine years or so ago, at that stage, there were no other international chapters. And I guess it goes back to what I was saying about the UK market being far less sophisticated with respect to e-discovery than the US market. And as such, starting a, a professional networking group at the time was pretty unusual because it wasn't something that there was an industry that existed here in the UK. It has now grown significantly since then. But the reason I think it's important to volunteer with organizations like ACEDS, and as you mentioned, I'm, I'm now the, the chair of the ILTA litigation special interest group here in Europe, and we meet once a quarter and we discuss various topics that are relevant to litigators and people responsible for buying and managing litigation technology at their law firms. Um, the value of, of working with organizations like these is it gives you a real insight into what your peers are doing and an opportunity to network with people at different firms doing different things. And so you get to learn through other people's mistakes rather than in your own firm where we all learn best when we make mistakes. But you can only make so many mistakes, ultimately. And so I think to be able to pull that knowledge, which you get in a volunteer organization where people aren't attracted by through any kind of remunerative means, but purely to upskill themselves, that, yes, yeah, there's huge value in it. So I think, there's, I think it's always worth volunteering within organizations which are close to the professional services field you operate so that you can learn the most from them. What? Challenges. Speaking of making mistakes, what challenges do you feel like you've faced in operating a startup e-discovery services business? And what have you enjoyed the most? So the hardest thing about being a startup, particularly when it, it's just you to begin with, is knowing where to spend your time. Um, inevitably, going out and getting clients has to be a primary focus because without the clients, then there is no business ultimately. But after you get the work in, then you also have to service it. And so you then take a kind of step back to, to do a really good job on the clients that you have won to ensure that they keep coming back. Um, but it's not until that first project comes in that you then have to create some kind of bespoke solution to fit it. And so that means doing research on the fly often. You're still bending and leaning on your experience from previous matters, but actually every project, at least in the discovery industry, and that's part of the reason that I like it so much, is unique and different and comes with its own challenges. And therefore, you have to become an expert in it very quickly because the deadlines are rapid. Um, and in order to deliver great service, it's important that your client feels you're giving them the best solution. 
So I guess it's both the hardest thing and one of the things that I really enjoy about it is knowing how to focus your time and then ensuring that you're being efficient with that time as well. And we spoke before about coaching and, and that's something that I both received personally and then have done professionally on the side because I think taking space to think about what's an efficient use of your time and actually properly identifying what your goals are as a business and as a person to make sure you're working towards them is crucial such that you don't just spend your time doing the tasks which are easy and not particularly labor intensive you can do whilst actually that doesn't help you achieve the ultimate objective of the business and you personally. I guess the other obvious thing about what I enjoy most about it, and this sounds a little megalomaniacal, but I've never been great at working for somebody else. I've always tried hard and I think I've been a good employee, but, and perhaps this is hubris, there's an element of always thinking that you know how to do it better. And then when you actually put yourself to the test in your own business, whether you know better or not, you're ultimately the person in charge. And I'm sure you can attest to this, given your own career path. I always say my job is to do the work as a gift. It's a dream to get paid to do work that you love to do, that you feel like you're providing value on, that empowers others. The getting the work is always the real challenge. And so your comment really resonates with me. Tell me a little bit about pricing, just what are some best practices for demystifying pricing and e-discovery, particularly as we're entering this era of much more automated work, generative AI has taken hold, and there is a much greater sophistication in terms of what people can do themselves, where they need services from external resources. How does the pricing equation, how has that changed? So I think the e-discovery industry is unique in its pricing model because it's basically smoke and mirrors in terms of the value you derive in no way correlates to what you pay. And I think that's a, it's a very challenging and confusing thing to understand because every different firm will charge for the same service using different metrics. So when it comes to being able to compare one provider against another, it's near on impossible to do. I think the other challenge is in terms of the discovery obligations, there are generally three parties involved in that. You have the end client, you have the external law firm, and then you have the service provider. And all those three parties aren't aligned in terms of the, the cost objectives. Ultimately, the law firm would like to be able to bill more for the overall project. And the service provider would also like to be able to bill more for the overall project. So those two end up in conflict to an extent. Now, ultimately, both want to make sure they're doing right by the end corporate client in order to ensure that there's a long-lasting relationship. But some of the squabbling, for want of a better phrase, between those external parties over who has control over different aspects of the process can mean that there's a bit of a bun fight around where the budget should best be spent in order to be in the client's best interest. So I think the only way to really demystify all the costs involved in a project is really spend time at the beginning laying out who does what and identifying exactly what they're being charged for, because invariably there's going to be overlapping. I think it's also important to obviously review different technologies in the market 
to understand where there are cost efficiencies, where perhaps you don't need to do as much linear or manual or human review and can use machines in order to do more of the work. But if the cost of using those machines actually ends up being exponentially greater than it does to use a person to fulfill some of those tasks, then that in itself isn't cost effective. So I feel like I've, I've created more confusion here than I have answered your question around how best to demystify it. But I think the only way that you can truly ensure that you're getting good value for money, and good value for money doesn't necessarily mean the lowest line item charge on every line item, but it means that you're staying within a budget, you're completing your work on time. And I think every corporate client would be happy to pay a significant sum up front if they knew that was the final sum, rather than get in cheap and then end up bleeding more costs down the line. And I think the only way to do it is just by, by really thinking carefully at the onset of a matter about how to choose the right partner, how to ensure that whatever the cost is the cost that you pay at the end, rather than just what the estimate says, and then a significantly larger invoice, and just working with people that you trust and can rely on. Where do you see Discovery headed? It's a, it's a very difficult question, isn't it? Because I think it was an industry that everybody assumed was going to collapse um, many years ago. With the advent of predictive coding, e-discovery was going to take over and the machines would do everything and there would never be a need for a human to operate them. And then there were rumors around Microsoft 365 basically building e-discovery controls into their own product. And with that, why would you ever need to send anything out to an external supplier? Ultimately, Microsoft would do all the work for you before you package it on. And I'm constantly surprised how the industry seems to have evolved, despite all of the threats to it. I suppose also generative AI is an obvious one. Not only now do you have the ability to code documents using advanced artificial intelligence, but actually you're now going the step beyond. The documents are then coded and actually you can get the AI to then create your case for you, put together perhaps custodians who you may have missed and then maybe even the proposed questions to ask those custodians such that you can gather more evidence in order to support your case. So I guess like the legal profession in general, it's going to evolve that you're going to have to get more sophisticated operators of the latest and greatest software and people that have common sense in order not to buy the shiniest product as soon as it's released, but actually to use something that's tried and tested, use it in a sensible way, and make sure that their approach is in the client's best interest and, and not their own. This is Ari Kaplan speaking with James McGregor, the founder of Ethical eDiscovery, a boutique consulting firm that captures and reviews digital evidence. James, thanks so very much. Thanks, Ari. Thank you for listening to the Reinventing Professionals podcast. Visit ReinventingProfessionals.com or AriKaplanAdvisors.com to learn more.